from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. You know, if he were a character in a novel, people would uh, probably chastise the author for uh, creating a character who's too over the top. Um, you know, we, we speak with some well-known people such as Tom Wolfe, um, the writer, and Robert Osborne, the film historian, and uh, get their views on, you know, whether or not they will be remembered forever and whether they care. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a fun little piece. I'm Sarah Fenske. The new documentary premiering on 9 PBS this Sunday is a must-see for opera lovers, for history buffs, and for fans of Martin Scorsese. The acclaimed filmmaker is front and center in The Oratorio, a documentary with Martin Scorsese. The one-hour film digs into a historic performance at St. Patrick's Old Cathedral, the 1826 one-night-only event organized by Mozart's librettist marked the arrival of Italian opera in the U.S. This concert firmly set New York City on course to become the diverse and vibrant center for the arts it is today. Martin Scorsese tells the story of a performance that made history and after nearly 200 years is recreated. This place is just breathing stories and lives long forgotten. But while Scorsese takes center stage on camera, he is not the film's director. That role was played by our guest today. Marianne Rothberg is the co-writer, co-director, and co-producer of The Oratorio, a documentary with Martin Scorsese. She's also a native of Clayton, and she joins us now. So Marianne Rothberg, welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah, for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. So I understand this was your first feature-length film. What was it like directing one of Hollywood's greatest directors in that moment? It it was just an incredible experience, which I'll never forget. But it was incredibly intimidating. (laughs) Um, And we were all very nervous, you know, to be behind the camera um, filming one of the greatest directors ever. Um, but he was so incredibly gracious and kind. And um, we, we had worked with his team to create uh, the, the narration that he was going to provide. But he, um, you know, gave us some extra time, which was just lovely, and knew that we would need some interviews. Um, and, you know, it was just a dream come true. So I got to ask, how did you get Scorsese to be on camera in the first place? Like, what, what brought him into this project? He had um, a close association with this church. He had uh, grown up in the neighborhood. This was his family church. He was an altar boy at the church. He sang in the choir and really had a deep connection and still has a connection with the church. Um, the, the church is home to the 150-year-old urban organ, which um, is falling apart, as you can imagine, after 150 years. And uh, Martin Scorsese is on the committee to restore this magnificent instrument. Mm. And, um, you know, the church reached out to him and said, would you like to lend your voice to this documentary? And, you know, we were absolutely beyond thrilled that he said yes. So people who've been tourists are probably thinking, St. Patrick's Cathedral, I know what that is. This is not that same building. What What is the history of this St. Patrick's Cathedral? This uh, church actually is much older, and um, it was uh, built by the same architect as the larger St. Patrick's, but this one is in Little Italy, 
and it um, really has been a cornerstone of that neighborhood for over two centuries. Um, it's you know a place where the Irish community originally worshipped, and then the Italians came in and and became the primary worshippers. And now um, the neighborhood is changing a lot and is becoming more and more Chinese. And the Chinese you know, enjoy services at this church. It's really an incredible place. So I get the sense that this was, um, you know, these were a lot of working class Catholics that went to this church. How did they land this groundbreaking oratorio that, you know, sort of introduces opera to this country? Well, the, uh, the the company that performed, the Garcias, were um, traveling in New York, and Lorenzo de Ponte, who was uh, Mozart's librettist, uh, really wanted more New Yorkers to know about Italian opera or opera in general. Um, New York was searched, was more or less a cultural backwater at the time, hmm. um, and really took a backseat to Philadelphia and Boston and Baltimore, and I think um, this was. Uh, you know, DuPonte's way of of educating New Yorkers. And the great thing is that this was an event that, you know, as you say, every working class person could attend. It wasn't some highfalutin um, event, you know, that cost a fortune. And from what I understand, there were thousands who crowded into the church, although I question whether that number is accurate, because the church probably can't hold that many. But uh, it was wildly successful, mm-hmm. as you can well imagine. So, DuPonte, people will have to watch the film to get the full story, but it's kind of amazing that this guy who was Mozart's librettist, he ends up in New York. He's, like, working as a grocer and, like, a humble bookseller. <laughs> like, what what kind of a bizarre journey was this guy on? You know, if he were a character in a novel, people would uh, probably chastise the author for uh, creating a character who's too over the top. <laughs> um, you know, he was he was born into a Jewish family. He converted to Catholicism at age 14. Uh, he, you know, lived in a brothel and had a couple of illegitimate children. And then he ran off or was forced to flee uh, Venice, where he grew up. And he went to Vienna, where he uh, met Mozart and became his librettist. But the story doesn't end there. I mean, if it did, it would be a great story. But, yeah. Um, you know, DuPonte was almost like a zealot-like figure who crossed paths with Casanova, with Mozart, with Clement Clark Moore in New York, and he was always courting trouble. Um, he, you know, could never really make a living and was always in debt and was always looking for the next thing to sort of take him out of debt. Um, and he was fleeing at one point debtors. Um, he... he was avoiding debtor's prison in London, and that's what brought him to New York, where he was just trying to make ends meet. And he crossed paths uh, with Clement Clark Moore, who, you know, we know is the author of The Night Before Christmas, who, uh, you know, realized his genius and helped secure him a position at Columbia as the first professor of Italian literature, which was, you know, a, a fitting end to, you know, this wonderful life. Yeah, I mean, what a great subject for a filmmaker. And there is so much more in this film than just DuPonte. Wh- what first got you into this story? Well, you know, we had filmed another segment at the church um, or another documentary that uh, we were working on. And um, about three months later, the person we had interviewed called us and said, you know, we're going to be 
filming this Italian, or we're going to be hosting this Italian opera company, and we would love for uh, you all to film it. And, you know, I'm not really a person who knows much about opera music, and um, my co-directors are, you know, sort of in the same boat. But once we started researching the history of the church and the history of this event, um, it just became too good to pass up. We're all mm-hmm. huge history buffs. And, um, you know, we, we thought that there was really a bigger story to tell, um, and that's, you know, the story of redemption, De Ponte's redemption, and the story of the immigrant experience, which, you know, makes its way throughout the film. Well, I hope people will watch this movie. This is um, Sunday, November 7th. You can catch it here on 9 PBS at 3 p.m. Marianne, in our last couple minutes here, I got to ask you some questions about your background, because part of what made us interested in your story is the fact that you're born and raised right here in the St. Louis area. Is that where your love of of movies began? Yes. Um, You know, I was found that the movies growing up were my happy place. Mm. And, um, you know, I would go to the movies with my dad. On Sunday afternoons, he would watch old films on the TV downstairs. And I think partially to avoid doing homework, I'd sneak downstairs <laughs> and watch with him. And my dad was just amazing. He could identify every minor character in some obscure film. Um, and, you know, we really became a family that loved old films. We still do. Although, Sadly, my dad and my mother, who also enjoyed movies, is no longer with us. But um, you know, it was always so much fun also going with friends to the Shady Oak Theater. We could walk to the theater on Saturdays and see movies. And um, you know, I just ended up becoming a huge movie buff and was fortunate enough to be able to make a career out of it. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. I understand you also interned at um, our rival KMOX uh, radio when you were in college. At that point, were you hoping to be a journalist? I I was hoping to be a journalist. I went through uh, lots of different careers uh, before I arrived at my current one. And at one point, I'd hoped to be a journalist. Um, And, you know, I credit KMOX with teaching me skills of interviewing, how to write a story, um, you know, a story that someone can actually voice um, with clear, short sentences and no tongue twisters. And I found that that skill really helped in uh, crafting this uh, narration for Scorsese. Well, so that's a... It, you know, it was, it's kind yeah, of all come together here, your your love of, of film and, and uh, being a journalist and, um, you know, these things sort of bring you to documentaries. I understand after this, um, just in our final minute here, you have a feature documentary you're putting the final touches on. Um, give us just a little sneak preview of what that's about. Well, it's called Forever Endeavor, and um, it's taken us about eight, nine years to uh, work on it and finish it, so it lives up to its name, uh, Taking Forever. And it's a film about uh, remembrance and legacy and perhaps the futility of it all. Um, you know, we, we speak with some well-known people such as Tom Wolfe, um, the writer, and Robert Osborne, the film historian, and uh, get their views on, you know, whether or not they will be remembered forever and whether they care. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a fun little piece that comes from a place uh, very important to me. I, you know, my uh, co-director uh, Jonathan Mann and I conceived of this when we lost our parents. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we we were questioning whether or not they'd be remembered years from now, um, and we were interested in doing a film on legacy. 
Wow. So a fun little piece, as you say, but that also grapples with a really serious issue and and questions of existence. This sounds like a great film, too. Uh, Marianne Rothberg, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's been fun. And Marianne is the co-writer, co-director, and co-producer of The Oratorio, a documentary with Martin Scorsese that airs on 9 PBS at 3 p.m. this Sunday, uh, November 7th. Immediately after, you can enjoy the broadcast of the historic restaging. That's DePonte's Oratorio, a concert for New York. That airs at 4. More information at pbs.org. And let's go out of the show with an overture featured in The Oratorio. Uh, This is by the 18th century composer Thomas Arne. This episode was produced by Evie Hempel with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.